This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This episode is airing, if we have our ducks in a row, in mid-September of 2023, which should also, again, if I have my ducks in a row, be the week I am leading a time-tracking challenge. So September is always a time of new starts, new routines. And whenever our routines shift, our schedules shift, it's helpful to just figure out where the time truly goes. Because when you know where the time goes, then you can make wise choices about where you would like it to go. And it could be that all is wonderful, in which case you should celebrate that fact, pop the champagne, release the balloons, whatever it is you're going to do. But if there's anything that you're finding a source of stress or anxiety, or you just think isn't as smooth as it could be, then knowing where the time goes is a great way to figure out what you can do about it. So I have been tracking my time for a long, long time. I began in April of 2015. I had tracked a few weeks here and there before then for various projects, but I began continuously then and have been going since. I find it pretty easy to do at this point and kind of even fun to do on occasion. Sarah, you do not entirely share my feelings about time tracking, so maybe we should explore this a little bit. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not against time tracking whatsoever. I think it's an incredibly useful tool. And I actually treat time tracking more like an intermittent practice rather than something constant, because I guess I just find it a little bit more difficult than you do for whatever reason. I think I get bogged down in trying to make it like too perfect or something. And then, you know, I'll forget something and just be like, ah, so it just and it just doesn't feel needed for me to do it all the time. But I absolutely love it to do it intermittently. And my preferred kind of cadence that I've landed on as of late is to do it like once a quintile. So or like once a quarter. So like five times a year with the shift of the seasons, whether that's the beginning of summer, the beginning of the school year, etc. I think it's a great time to kind of take stock, just as you said, like, where is the time actually going? Because it really helps me with troubleshooting and figuring out where pockets of time might be or making decisions about things that I might want to cut out. So I think it's a fantastic tool. 
Yeah. But I mean, somebody like you, you you have a pretty good sense of your time already, partly because it is so highly planned that there tend not to be big stretches of time that you couldn't account for, which I think is something that happens with some people. So those people are always find time tracking the most eye-opening. I think, though, that even people who mostly know where the time goes, there's always something to be learned from it. I mean, I I look back over my time logs. I like to see them as memories. I, you know, check the time from six years ago, for instance, every week and see what was going on then in my life. And I also just like to spot check my time logs at the end of the week and say, well, was I doing the things that I think I should be doing? Like, what do I want to change or what went well, what didn't go well? And you know, did this look like an interesting week? <laughs> if I was going to share this week with someone, would I be like, geez, I, my life is boring or terrible or whatever? Or, or is it like, oh, yeah, no, we do some pretty cool stuff. So I think that's always... I find that interesting. Like, what is your... I think people would want to know, too, like, what does your time audit practice look like? Because I know you've been going back to review your log, and then you also have been, like, going back to previous years. So when do you do this? What does it look like? Give us a little picture. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It tends to be a Monday morning sort of thing because that is when my time log week starts. So I name the file after that date. So the week we were recording this, for instance, is August 21, 2023. It would have been August 21, but it turns out August 21 happened in 2016, and I'm still recording on the same laptop. So I didn't originally name it with the file of the year. I don't know. I didn't know that I'd still be doing it in 2023. So this didn't occur to me that I should label it with the year originally. So I finished the log on Monday morning, the previous log, because it goes to 5 a.m. Monday, right? That's when it starts. So I record the end of Sunday night, like when I went to bed, if there were any wake-ups or anything like that. And then I archive that log and open a new one. And so as part of archiving it now, I look back over it and say, how did the week go? I I tend not to add up things anymore. I don't look at how many hours I worked. I don't look at how many hours I slept or exercised or anything like that. It's more a holistic kind of look at it. And then I open the new one and start it for Monday morning. And then I open the one from six years ago with the corresponding date and take a look and quick trip down memory lane. And I I always have to kind of nudge myself to do it because, of course, it's Monday morning and I'm like, it's time to get started. I need to get to work. This is the beginning of the week. I've got that fired up energy to start the week. But I do find it rewarding to do so. And and sometimes I even get ideas looking at the past of, you know, oh, that I did this and this and I could write about that or whatever. So it's worth doing. I wouldn't have to do it Monday morning. Like maybe I should do it more as like Monday lunch kind of thing just to not have that tension between needing to get started on Monday morning versus revisiting the past. So that's something I could change. Interesting. I feel like the closest thing I have to that look back is that I I'm on my third year of a five-year journal. So it's still because my five-year journal began in 2021 and the world looked kind of crazy that year. It's actually like, wow, a lot has changed. <laughs> like, had some comment about like first day of school pictures with masks on or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two years well, ago. But you also look back at your old blogs. Yeah. I think that's more like random. More I don't have somewhat a systematic. systematically, I, I feel, because you've linked to some. I, I feel like as you know, it's more like, oh, like that'll just pop into my head. I mean, there's very little systematic about my blog in general, but um, like I'll think of something and Google it. I'll search for it on my own blog. (laughs) Although uh, sometimes it's fun to look at memory lane with this because you have the same widget I do. I mean, it may be made by a different company, but it suggests other blog posts that you might wish to read at the bottom of your blog. And it's also, it's usually because it's got some same keyword in it, right? Like it's, this is not, I mean, it's very rudimentary AI here, but uh it suggests it because of that. so sometimes I wind up looking back on those as well because I'm like, oh, yeah, what was I doing when I last had this thought of X? And I find that I write the same thing a lot, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> it hasn't gotten old for me yet, so I don't think you need to worry about writing the same thing. But yes, I do click on those sometimes. I just don't have like a any kind of ritual around yeah. it. It's just yeah. Organic. I'm going to move it to Monday lunch. I'm I'm thinking about this now. (laughs) I can remember what I was doing Sunday night and Monday morning through to Monday lunch. I don't have to open the time log first thing. uh, I can do it. 
So anyway, we're going to be talking time management in this episode. Obviously, a favorite topic of mine, although I'd say it's a favorite topic of Sarah's as well. So we just have a couple tips. We're going to talk about some of our favorites that have come up over the years from looking at our own time, looking at other people's time, because people send details about their schedules to me. They send them to Sarah as well, as she's been doing a lot of you know work with different people on planning. So we'll go ahead and, and talk about them. So one of my favorite ones is deciding how much time to give certain tasks. That certain tasks, we're not going to just like do them when they vaguely need to be done or when they occur to us or until they're like over, whatever that means, because they will expand to fill all available space. And two of the most obvious ones, one at work, one at home, email at work and housework at home. Both of these are almost never going to be done in any like sense of truly being done like for a long period of time. I mean, you can get to inbox zero, but like within about three minutes, somebody has emailed you again. So it's a very fleeting sense of done, which is the same thing with housework. Like you can empty the dishwasher and scrub everything down and then there's something somewhere. I don't know. Somebody like put something in a trash can or there's dirty clothes and then hamper. I mean, it's never done in the sense that there will never have to be done again for any length of time. So with that, you have to kind of decide what amount of time you wish to devote to them as opposed to letting them dictate how much time you do. So for email, for many people, it helps to set certain windows that they're going to check. They can be frequent windows. Like if you need to be very responsive, you might decide to be off email for 45 minutes and on for 15 and off for 45 and on for 15 or something like that. Or if you have a little bit more of a relaxed kind of schedule, it could be in the morning, at lunch, at the end of the day or something. But you decide and then do it then and then don't do it so much at other times. So same with housework. You might decide, okay, we're going to spend 20 minutes after dinner tidying up. And then if it's important, it gets done in those 20 minutes. If it wasn't, we're not going to sit there and do it all evening just to reach some standard of done. Sarah. Yeah. You feel differently a little bit about email, although you, you've different nodded and about the same. The, yeah, different the, and the same. I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. You could literally spend your entire day like being in your inbox and responding to everything. And by the way, I think Cal Newport brought this up, but like the more emails you respond to, the more emails are going to get back. So actually, if you want to make the task less of a task, don't respond all the time. Don't be up to date 100% of the time because then more emails are going to come back to you and stuff is just going to move faster, faster than you can handle it. And then you're going to be in your email all day. So my answer to that is yes, I do want to get to inbox zero. I want to acknowledge every message. I want to clear it out. I don't, as I've spoken, I don't do any fancy like full. I'm just like archive, archive, archive or process or like respond or deal with it. But that way I know nothing in there is getting entirely missed. But I really only do that like when I've decided to do it. Generally, it's most Fridays, but if I'm on vacation, I may miss a Friday and then I may need a longer Friday. But by giving myself permission that like generally I'm not clearing out my inbox except for these designated times, I think I'm more efficient and it prevents that like spinning wheel from getting out of control in terms of the the responses. And I guess I would say similar for household. Like I, I've never felt like it was a good use of time to like run around after the kids to like pick up each toy they they played with like continuously. But rather if I put a container, like maybe I do want to get the house to a certain level of tidiness, but be like, we're just going to deal with it at the end of the day and try to do it in 15 minutes. Like that, it just corrals a task that could literally be continuous and you can't be at inbox zero or clean house zero 100% of the time or like that is your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> so really. yes. I mean, the closest we come to it being clean is sort of, well, the cleaning service in our house comes every week, but they alternate what they do. They do the kitchen every time, but they do the bedrooms one week and do the other parts of the house the other week. And so after they've done the bedrooms and the kitchen, and we've new- tidied up a little bit the night before, like just to get stuff put away so it doesn't disappear when they come in and clean. It's clean for like, a little bit, but then somebody's in the house. I mean, it doesn't stay that way. Like somebody puts mail on the counter, somebody puts the, you know, the dishwasher's been run or something. So somebody leaves a dish in the sink because they didn't want to f- empty the whole thing. I don't know. But it's clean for an hour, maybe. And then it's over. And so you just have to kind of deal with this reality. And I, I think some people have a harder psychological time with that. I don't know that they feel like the state of their house is reflective on them. But I think you can be like, orderly without being over the top tidy. So decide how much time you want to put into it. Keep it at that. Move on. 
the next tip we want to talk about is multitasking. So you can't make more time and you can't multitask similar activities, but you can make more time by doing two unrelated things at once. Sarah and I recently read The Long Game, or I reread it, but The Long Game by Dory Clark, which we have been talking about with our Patreon group as part of our book club. And she talks about how when she logged her time for a month, she was able to kind of double up on enough activities that she was able to feel like she actually made several more hours in a week than the 168 hours the week actually contains. I mean, so that would be things like exercising with a friend or calling her mom while doing housework or something, you know, just so that it was the time was used for two activities at the same time, but two that weren't going to conflict with each other. So not I'm on a Zoom call and I'm checking my email at the same time because you're not paying attention to one of them. But if you are walking to work and calling your mom at the same time, you've gotten yourself to work and you've nurtured that relationship. So it's a bonus. Sarah, you do this all the time. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I mean, I think a lot of us do this all the time. I think earbuds have been a great way to make tasks that don't require any brain power a little bit more fun because you can enjoy your favorite podcast while you are tidying up or unloading the dishwasher so that maybe like what we just talked about in the last part, even when you are doing that 15 minute cleanup, it doesn't feel like pure drudgery. But I also absolutely embrace that kind of social slash like other things. So I think book club is great for that because like you're doing social, but you're also reading and like it kind of two in one. And then my running group is a great example because I'm getting my workout in and spending time with friends at the same time, trying to do a weekly lunch with my work colleagues. That's like networking slash you have to eat lunch slash just fun. So 100%. And yeah, I loved how Dory talked about she's like, I actually had 200 hours in my week. <laughs> yes. Well, she's a very productive person. But yes, I mean, it's, uh, she was making time left and right, which is very funny. There was actually an article in the New York Times not long ago by Oliver Berkman, who is a friend of the podcast. We've had him on. We love Oliver. But it was also kind of like, only do one thing at once. Like, don't listen to that podcast while doing chores. I'm like, come on, Oliver. Are you never doing chores? Like, do you, <laughs> do you just hate all podcasts? I don't know what's going on with that. But I think for most of us, that is a way to feel like we have a little bit more time, particularly if there are things in your life that aren't as discretionary, like commuting or chores, that being able to do something that you enjoy at the same time is a way to feel like you have a little bit more leisure in your life. Yes. I mean, I don't listen to a podcast while I do Headspace. That would be bad. <laughs> that would, Well, that's <laughs> yes, that would be defeating the point. Um, <laughs> don't do that. All right, well, we're going to take a quick ad break and we will be right back with a few more of our favorite time management tips. This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga, along with newcomer William A. Fitzgerald. The film is an endearing and often funny story about Max, a divorced father and stand-up comedian living with his father and struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When forced to confront difficult decisions about the future, Max and Ezra embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Ezra is an endearing and often funny exploration of a family determined to find their way through life's complexities with humor, compassion, and heart. Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Thrive Cosmetics. I am a speed demon when it comes to my makeup routine. I have approximately five minutes, or maybe three, between showering and starting my routine of getting the kids out the door for school. And so I'm always looking for products to keep things super streamlined and easy for my everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics for years has been part of that. I've discussed the Brilliant Eye Brightener before, which is a serious workhorse for making me look more awake. But lately, I'm also super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's a tubing mascara that lengthens lashes and is super easy to remove as well, which is key because my makeup removal routine is just as streamlined. You can feel great about shopping at Thrive because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. 
Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash bestof, B-E-S-T-O-F, for 10% off your first order. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. back talking time management, a favorite topic of both of ours, uh, just a few of our favorite strategies that we use personally, we've seen other people use. So one of our favorites as well is that sleep and exercise don't take time, they make time. Because you will be more productive if you are sleeping the amount of time that you need to sleep and moving your body something reasonable, you know, 30 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be three hours a day. But 30 minutes would probably have a massive benefit over doing nothing. So Sarah has made time for well, you you have a little, you know, the sleep is a little harder, I think, for you. My problem is those two things are actually exactly at odds with each other. <laughs> I want to do three yes. hours a day of activity yeah, and yeah. I don't have time to do that and sleep. I'm I'm joking about the three hours. That would be No, you place. well, you have run three hours a day. I mean, I've seen yeah, it. That's yes, true. Okay. I have. Not a day, but on occasional days as occasional part of a days. training occasional program. Days. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I 100% agree, though. Everything in life is easier if you've gotten at least kind of what your body's minimum of sleep is. I think it helps to kind of figure out what that is. I know for you, it's like 7.4 hours on average, exactly. right? Yes. <laughs> and for me, I think it's similar. If I am like at that seven hour mark for too many nights in a row, I'm just like by the fourth or fifth day, like, oh, my God, like everything is so hard. And I guess I will also go against like conventional sleep advice and just reality check and say, like, you know, it does help to sometimes get like a ton of sleep. I mean, I know you can't like bank sleep, but sometimes I do feel better if I go those few days in a row with just seven and then have a day of like nine. I can feel really, really good. So I know that's not what the experts say, but it tends to work (laughs) for me. Well, if it can work in your schedule, I mean, that's the problem is for many people, I think it's harder for that to work if they don't have any flexibility on one end or the other. And you don't most days, but you can sometimes. Like Sunday, my kids now sleep reliably until eight a lot of times on weekends, which, you know, when they were little, that certainly wasn't the case. And I don't usually run that morning. So if I go to bed at 10... Man, that's a well, and that's sleep a choice too, though, to decide that you are going to prioritize getting your sleep over the weekend as opposed to the sort of magical thinking people have of like, oh, I'm you know going to have my leisure late at night and then somehow also magically all the sleep will get caught up. Uh, and that, that doesn't necessarily happen. And if you can't, you know, if it doesn't work for you to do big chunks of exercise, I mean, I, I love exercising. Sarah's like clearly Miss Exercise Queen here, but you can do little bits. I mean, you go going for a 10 minute walk two times a day and then, you know, jumping around at night or something. You, you can get to 30 minutes pretty easily, even in pretty packed schedule. I think you just have to prioritize doing it as opposed to, say, checking email in your breaks. You're probably going to be better off having walked than checked email for an extra 10 minutes. You'll be able to get through more of your emails later if you do that. Another one. Which we, you know, it's, this is about, everything is nuanced, right? So I have a general saying that people are a good use of time. 
Now, we need to balance that with the idea that sometimes we have to say no to things, right? We can't say yes to everything. And sometimes, especially I think women in particular, get asked for a lot of extra uncompensated stuff that we need to be careful about drawing boundaries around. On the other hand, there's also the reality that most relationships are going to be built around a yes. You know, that you say yes to doing something with somebody as a friendship or maybe on a professional front that you agree to meet with someone and you actually really hit it off and you come up with good ideas or, you know, you do something for somebody early in your career and then they turn out to be a total rock star later. And it's like, well, that was good that that happened. (laughs) Right. You know, so I think it's it's obviously something we have to figure out. But whenever I've felt like meeting someone or having a call with someone or that I've has made it through and I've gotten it on the calendar and it's maybe it doesn't really go anywhere. I'm like, well, you know, I could have wasted 30 minutes reading stupid headlines online too. So and try to be semi at least accessible. I guess that's my idea. Yes. I feel like I'm currently struggling with, with feeling like requests come at me a lot, but I think that's more in the nature of the stage of life I'm in and my career field. And you're right. I mean, there is something to be said for just being like, if I, have the time, I should try to help the best I can within reasonable limits. And so, yeah. and it's rare that I regret spending time with someone that I know, like, even if it's like, you know, something for school and getting to know the other parents and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So saying yes when we can. I mean, there's a place for no for everything, but being yes strategically as well. Okay, always having something you could look forward to. This is a big one. It changes the entire experience of life. I feel like a lot of people get to a certain point in life and realize they need something like a hobby or like nights out with friends or just something, you know, in your life that's not necessarily work or caring for family members, but something you're genuinely looking forward to just for its sake. I mean, you schedule like massages every couple of weeks, right? That's uh Oh, I wish it was every okay. couple every weeks. month or two. I don't it's know what it is. It's usually like every other month. <laughs> every but other month. I love like this is I feel like my when I look at that like monthly calendar spread, I want to see like at least two things that I'm like psyched about. And maybe one of them will be like a small trip. Our family goes away for a weekend. And one of them is a massage or a friend date or a race that I'm running, like something that's like really, really fun for me. And I feel like that tends to be like the view and a month is enough time to like plan it. If you're looking at the next month to like plan for stuff like that, I don't necessarily feel like I can fit in something fun and exciting every single day. I mean, although little adventures, I know little adventures, but on, on the kind of month scale, I want to have some great stuff to look forward to. And it does keep you going. I mean, it's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. (laughs) What is life for? What is life for? (laughs) No, I know. I totally feel this way too. It's just like, if I, no, I have a cool trip coming up. Suddenly the the month feels entirely different than if I'm just like, oh, feels like such a slog. Like there's nothing good going. But the thing is, this isn't just like, they don't, they're not sprinkled from heaven. These things that are like, you know, that you're looking forward to. It's not like some people have lives where there's stuff that they are always looking forward to and somewhere they don't. I mean, I understand that there's certain structural differences in people's lives too, but like we all have the power to reach out to a friend that you like seeing and schedule two things. So if one gets canceled, at least the other is still there. Or think about what you genuinely enjoy and figure out what logistics would need to happen for you to do that one day in the next you know, month or two. And then it, yeah, life feels entirely different. It can even be something as simple as like this TV show that I've been waiting for the new season to come out is like this date and I put it on my calendar and maybe like I have a friend that likes it too and we text you. Like these things don't need to be a plane flight somewhere, but it can still bring you joy to see, oh yeah, next Thursday night, like new season of whatever is starting. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to text each other about it. It's going to be awesome. Yay. 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 So with that, one of the ways we can make time for thinking about what we would enjoy and putting it on the calendar, I always am a big fan of Friday planning, but whether you plan on Fridays or not, you should plan your life at least in weeks. A week is a long enough time to be holistic, right? So you don't wind up in artificial crunches day to day, but it's also short enough that you have a very good sense of what's going to happen. Like the far future may be unknowable, but next week is like gonna happen, like most likely. <laughs> and and the, the contours of the stuff you've planned is also most likely going to happen. So with that in mind, as you are doing this, figure out what's important for you professionally, of course, but I'm guessing many people already do that. 
I think it's really helpful to also give yourself two other categories of things that are most important for you in the next week, relationships and self. So the three categories, career, relationships, self, what would make it a good week for you in terms of your relationships with family and friends? What would make it a good week for you in terms of doing stuff that you particularly find meaningful or enjoyable? And making sure you have some of that happening is, again, going to make life feel a lot more balanced, I think, in a way that's not just about like, oh, am I only working X number of hours per week, right? That's true balance is when you feel like there are good things in all spheres of life. Yeah, I love that. My categories are like slightly different, but pretty much the same. I do like self, family, which can encompass friends and then work. So basically the same. Yeah. I mean, I (laughs) They weren't random categories. They're the ones that seem like to happen most often with people like if they're thinking about it. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Speaking of family, another, you know, this is one that's dear to our hearts here at Best of Both Worlds as a time management thing, because I get logs and questions and stuff from people all the time about this. But limiting your use of childcare is not a sign that you are winning at time management. It often results in feeling frazzled, and behind. And we know that there are all sorts of narratives out there about paid childcare and how it's, I don't know, a sign that you're like failing or something. I was, there's one influencer I follow on Instagram that, you know, they get thousands of comments on posts and somebody, you know, they're expecting like some umpteenth child or whatever. And somebody asks like, you know, why don't you talk about like your childcare, your nanny or whatever? Like you could talk about that. Maybe it's somebody who's read me. I don't know. And both she and her husband like responded almost instantly like well we don't have a nanny that's why we don't talk about it and i was like of thousands of comments why why that like why <laughs> and i think it's because there is such this narrative that like if you have childcare you're suddenly you're not doing it right but how is that even possible like i don't know even people who are not in the paid workforce will ask like a relative to watch their kids while they go to the doctor or while they might occasionally visit another relative in the hospital or something. You know, it's it's like you ask other people to watch your kids. Like the fact that you are paying somebody who is responsible is not a sign that you failed. It's maybe a sign that you don't have ready, willing, and available other care around to do that. I mean, it's just, or, you know, that they have their limits as well. Anyway, point two. <laughs> That's a soapbox here. I'm just thinking about the influencer lifestyle. And if you're a successful influencer, you're like filming videos all day long. And if you have 10 children and you don't have any childcare, I actually don't understand how that would well, work. Well, I said we're going back to like, I mean, this is not the same influencer, but the lady who was at the water park who was pregnant with like her seventh kid or something said my, my heart was full after the experience. I'm like, how do you keep like three kids from drowning on your own? Like, I don't believe like your two-year-old is water safe. I, you know, there had to be other people around. Of course, like you're pregnant, you're running to the bathroom every 10 minutes. Like you can't leave seven kids in the water park. I, I don't even know. I only have three kids and I lost a kid at the water park. So <laughs> there are other people around. And maybe it's that they're they're calling them their business assistant, but they watch the kids because that's says a lot about our idea of female empowerment. Like it's fine to, you know, have employees, but God forbid they watch your kids. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> my point being here that it's not a sign that you're winning at time management and stop thinking it is. Yeah. And we understand like that sometimes there are like financial or circumstantial barriers to having full-time care. So this is not to say you're stupid if you don't have, because, you know, but there are people that could have perhaps that it wouldn't actually make much of a difference financially or logistically that have decided not to for those types of reasons. And I mean, if you're enjoying your life, great, but you don't get a prize. Yeah. or And like cobbling stuff together is often going to result in more mental load that will keep you from focusing at your job in a way that maybe just figuring out that you are going to do the high quality care full time. And then that will enable you to focus and maybe hopefully improve at your finances over time. And certainly people shouldn't feel guilty about, you know, like, using full-time daycare. I mean, that's not a sign that you're a terrible parent, even though people put stuff out. And I remember reading a version of a book that shall go nameless, but talking about how no parent ever wanted to put their kid in daycare. I'm like, I did. Like, (laughs) who are you? Like, who is this? (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought it was great. Toddler daycare is the most amazing thing in the world. Now, if they you know, can figure out how to stop people from getting respiratory viruses, that's a different matter. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. So stingy use, bad for all parties. Plan for your future self. Think about your future self. However, again, this is another one that is nuanced. Your future self will not be incompetent. <laughs> so you don't have to spend your entire life thinking about what you, you know you're planning for the future. You don't have to spend your entire weekend prepping for the upcoming week, for instance. So Sarah, you, you have a limited set of things you will do for your future self. You know what future self is incompetent? <laughs> My morning pre-coffee self is totally... Okay, she, is, she is truly incompetent. That's true for all is. of us. Yes. So for her, I always set up the coffee because it's ready and then she's so happy. So yeah. Lunches, lunch prep, we usually do do the day before because my kids are fairly incompetent in the morning and I need all my energy to get them out the door rather than also juggling lunch stuff. And as you know, we're, we're this is after the back to school episode. We're on a fairly tight timeline. We have to get everybody out the door. And then fun, like we talked about, those things to look forward to, like that I get excited about on the calendar, like someone has to make those happen. And so... That's something I enjoy doing for my future self, being like, oh, we should all see this show or go out to this restaurant or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're never going to feel like doing something. I mean, so it's not like if you do it now, it's massive time savings for future. I don't know. It, you're not often saving time. You're moving it around. So the question is, is now a good time or are you giving something up by doing it now versus doing it else time? I mean, you know, I find that like actually if I were making lunches, doing it when I'm already in the kitchen for breakfast would be fine because you can like throw something together while something else is on the stove versus like taking leisure time when the kids are in bed the night before to do it. So, but your mileage may vary. Again, just please don't spend your entire weekend making food for the week. That makes me sad. <laughs> Create a weekend template. Because weekends are real time, too. And you should think at least a little bit through what you want your weekend to look like by Wednesday or Thursday. And Sarah, you use even a whiteboard for this, this project. Well, our whole week is on a whiteboard. And yes. so Saturday and Sunday are on there. So thank you, Erin Condren, for including Saturday and Sunday. Because actually, sometimes those sorts of things don't. Like, they treat it like there's five days. And then, like, what's or the rest? like two tiny boxes in the planner. Like, whatever. These are, like, not real days. Or Saturday yep. and Sunday are the same box as if they are, these are the same days. I'm like, what? <laughs> Agree. <laughs> Whose life is this? I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. Saturday and Sunday. Interestingly, there's a planner company that I've done reviews on that had a stacked. And they got so much feedback that this year they came out with a, they call it the unstacked version where Saturday and Sunday get their own full-sized column. So yes, I totally agree. <laughs> we, we just put stuff on the whiteboard that's happening. I used to send an email. Now you send an email. Maybe I should go back to the email. Like there were just so many moving parts. I'd be like, send it to my husband. Now we just kind of have it on the whiteboard. And I feel like things repeat enough that we generally know. And then anything that deviates from our normal is on the whiteboard. Yeah. No, I, I've, I'm, Sending the email, and now I'm starting to add the older kids to the email for the weekend, just so they have an idea of what's upcoming. I mean, I can talk to the little kids, or they kind of take life as it comes. But uh, especially if the older ones are thinking about doing stuff with friends, if you tell them, like, this is the time that's available, you know, it would be great during this window. This other window is, like, not great. So please, not then. <laughs> um, but, you Do know. Do they ever write you back and say, like, okay, great, I'll need a ride to, like, Jen's house at 3 o'clock? <laughs> it's it's We've had some of that or, or just like, you know, if I suggest two different activities for a window of time, I will get votes back <laughs> from uh, or sometimes they're a little bit more sullen, like not that. <laughs> but uh, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I love that. That's but great. yeah, no, but we sort of are the you know, weekend cruise director here. But, you know, there are a lot of moving parts and people have lots of different activities. And you'll generally do the stuff that you have to do. But I think if you want to personally have fun amid like five kids doing multiple different activities, then it's kind of got to be thought through ahead of time because otherwise you won't. And finally, the last one we want to talk about is to embrace your golden hours. This is a little phrase I have started using to describe the Monday to Thursday post-work pre-bed hours. And I think for many of us, they are some of the hardest hours to use well in our entire weeks because you're tired. 
you are kind of getting everyone through to the end of the day. Many people are like counting the hours to bedtime at that point. And, you know, at the after the kids have gone to bed, you're just sort of exhausted. So you do whatever kind of putter around. But it's not no time. I mean, if you were done with work at like 530 and went to bed at 1030, that's five hours four nights a week, that's 20 hours of your week. It's like the equivalent of a part-time job. I mean, so having no idea or no intentions of what one wants to do at this time seems like kind of a waste or at least, you know, not necessarily how we might wish to live our lives, especially if we don't want to be wishing time away, given how precious time ultimately is. So Sarah, I think like you, you're not a huge fan of the golden hours. I love the idea because, you know, when I reflect on it, that is probably the piece of my life I'm like least satisfied with. So I love that it's getting attention. I just personally don't like see a lot of easy routes around what makes it hard. And part of what makes it hard is I get up very early. So like I go to bed right after the kids and by 738, I'm like, I hate everything. Like, I just, (laughs) I want no stimulation. But I also am in a phase of life where my kids have activities almost every single night of the, pretty much every single night of the week during those golden hours. And usually I'm doing at least one drive. And so, like, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess part of it would be strategically thinking about when I can get breaks from that. And also, people pointed out, like, for soccer, like, hey, you could somehow use some of that time as like you time and figure out if you could take a walk during soccer practice or read a book or, you know, things like that. And it's worth thinking through. Absolutely. So I'm excited this time is going to get more attention from you perhaps in the future. But I, I definitely think it's a challenging one from for me personally. Well, it's challenging for everyone. I mean, that's why that's why I think it needs this rebrand as opposed to being like the witching hour or the second shift or some other, you know, negative version of it. I think for me, I mean, you know, I understand like when you have like little, little kids, it's so hard. But especially as my kids get older, I'm trying to, you know, plot through. Is there something I can be do that's enjoyable in the course of the evening? And often there is some discretionary time. There's not a ton, but it's like, do I have a book I want to read? And if I do, then can I get myself into my room shortly after 10? Like, can I be done with my kid chats by like 10, 10 or whatever, 10, start earlier. So I'm done at 10. And then, you know, 10 to 11, I can basically sit there and read this book that's I'm really enjoying. Can I think about if there is open time in the evening, like do our toad time, time outside after dinner or if I am at a kid's activity, is there something I'd want to do there that would be enjoyable for me? You know, just putting a little bit more source of pleasure into those hours. I like it. I'm excited for more to come, perhaps, on that. More to come future. than that. Yes, exactly. Uh, let us know. How do you how do you want to improve your golden hours? And then, Sarah, you just had a few you wanted to throw in extra. I'll do two quick ones. One is that I just think most people generally blanket statement do not give themselves time to plan because they're so eager to rush into what they're doing. They feel harried. They feel behind. And then it like backfires because if they had taken the time to plan, then maybe they would have been less rushed in the first place. So usually when I convince people to try it, they're like, oh, that really, really helped. So give yourself time and permission. <laughs> I feel almost too relaxed. <laughs> give yourself time and permission to spend time planning. And my other one is to make sure you have one calendar somewhere that is just like your ultimate reference and has everything relevant to you on it. Because I've run into people who have, I call it one source of truth. I made that up. Sometimes people will have like, oh, their kid's soccer calendar on here, but I use Google Calendar, but I have a paper planner for work. And like, like, okay, like all those are great, but like there needs to be one where it just has everything, whether that's Google Calendar with different overlays where you can see everything or on paper. Like there are so many different ways to do this. But to have one reliable source that you keep updated is incredibly helpful because it's hard to plan going forward when you don't actually know what's like on your docket to begin with. Those yeah. are my, my favorites. <laughs> no, and and there people come up with all sorts of reasons why they can't do that of like, well, I don't want my colleagues to see that I'm whatever, have some embarrassing medical condition that you're like getting treated for or something. I don't know what it is, but like, I get it, but there are ways to do it, right? Like, so stop making excuses for why you can't have one source of truth and instead look at a way that you could so that you don't miss things, drop balls, 
you know, or make just like stupid work-life things that wouldn't have happened if you'd thought about it, right? That like you have control over your time. Somebody asks to meet and you're like, four o'clock Wednesday. And then you're like, wait, <laughs> I have this huge thing in my family at four o'clock Wednesday, which again, I could have gone to, but I've like now have a crisis that I've got to solve. So it's better to have one source of truth. All right. I'll save the rest for, you know, time management tips part two. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was talking too much. <laughs> no, we were good. We were good. We just have, we have even more to say on this. We so have maybe, more to maybe say we'll on this do topic. a redux in January or something. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So question. This came from a listener who wrote to Sarah with a planning adjacent question about timing to start a family. She enjoyed the recent episode we had about expanding your family. That's the one we did about having three kids or more, but was curious about your thoughts on deciding when to begin having kids. I know timing does not work for everyone, but it's tough to always, you know, if you're always thinking, well, once I get the next promotion, then I start my family or once I've saved XYZ amount or once we get our fill of travel with just the two of us. So curious your thoughts about this. So Sarah, can you plan the timing of your starting your family? I mean, you can decide when you want to start your family, but I guess I would just caution anybody to wait for some very specific time or milestone. Like there's probably not, once you've achieved XYZ goal, then you're going to think of like ABC goal and like, there's not necessarily going to be an obvious milestone. I mean, there are maybe some exceptions to this, like Surgical residency training is notoriously brutal, but at the same time, it's really long. So, and maternity leave policies have improved. So, even something like that, like, you know, you weigh the pros and cons, but there's not necessarily a, a right answer. So, I guess I would just embrace the fact that there is no perfect time. So, if there's like a reasonable time and you're excited about having kids, you might as well start moving forward with it. Fertility is never guaranteed at any point. And I don't like the kind of myths that like, you know, once you turn 35, you're like not going to have any more babies like that's, you know, we both had lots of babies after that time frame. But statistically, like a 42 year old is going to have more trouble getting pregnant than a 27 year old on average. So keep that in mind to some healthy and reasonable extent. And remember that time is fungible. So if you do have kids earlier, then you have like a longer, healthy period later. Like I can think of some people who have teenagers who are younger than I am. And they're going to have an empty nest like before they're 50. And like, you know, there's a lot of vitality. Like you can travel the world when you're 50. You can climb mountains when you're 50. So it's not like, oh, well, we're adventurous people. So we should wait to have kids. Like on the contrary, uh -oh. maybe you have kids earlier and then you'll have more like kid free adventurous time on the back end. Also, big families take time to make. So, you know, <laughs> keep that time frame in mind as well. <laughs> Usually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think if you're writing this in, because you're excited about having kids. So now is a good time. Right. I mean, I think so. Yeah. There's never, never a perfect time. If you want more than one kid, two kids, probably starting earlier, will give you more space to do that without thinking that you have to have them right on top of each other if if that's something that would be more challenging for you or your body or anything else. So yeah, go for it. <laughs> and I don't think there's any financial specific milestone you, you need to meet either because, you know, the nice thing about kids is like they don't grow that fast and they don't need that much in the beginning. I guess the only thing is to think about your, as we've preached before, your childcare plan should be like the first thing you think of more than any other logistical detail. So I mean... If you can think of some way that you could handle childcare, then then you're ready. Go for yeah. it. Or at least, you know, there's at least one stable job between the two of you. Right, 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 right. <laughs> or or you can combine to have a stable job. Like each of you has half of a stable job. Like maybe that works too. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably fine. Yeah. All right. Well, love of the week. I guess we got to do that. Huh. Now we both have to think about it. Well, I will say these time tracking challenges that I do are definitely love of the weeks for me because often we get like thousands of people signing up for them at this point. And it's just so cool to think of thousands of people tracking through their time and thinking about where the time is going and recording it and being accountable for this and getting insights into their time. And I've certainly gotten a lot of interesting insight from it. When I ran this time challenge last January, I actually had a researcher do some work on it. And it turns out that people who track their time for a week feel better about their time than people who don't. Like they feel more satisfied with their time. 
And, you know, maybe that's because, you know, if you stick with something for the week, you're the kind of the person who's in charge of things like you're with it, right? You've got certain stick to itiveness and planning and all that stuff that maybe people who couldn't stick with it for a week didn't have. But on the other hand, the people who stuck with it for a week had higher scores at the beginning in time satisfaction than everyone else. And their time satisfaction score still rose over the course of the week as they tracked their time. I mean, for two reasons. I mean, one, they saw that they could course correct if something was wrong. Like, instead of spending three hours on Twitter because you're you know, bored, you're like, I don't want to write that down. And so you do something more fun instead. And then life is better. But it's also that people often see that they are spending their time in really cool ways. There's usually something to celebrate. And that's great. Well, I will go kind of low tech because we did mention it briefly, but I love the idea of having like a little five-year journal. There are so many different ones out there, but five years is enough time to see a lot of things change. And it's so, usually most of them don't have a ton of space for writing. So it could be a quick little ritual where you just write down a highlight and then you can at a glance see what life was like on that day for five years. So I have the one from Hobonichi, which as this episode's out, you know, Hobonichi season basically begins September 1st. So, you know, you can get your order in. You can start your five-year journal in 2024 if you'd like. And yeah, it does bring me joy. I like it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we've been talking some of our favorite time management strategies that we've used, that other people use to good effect. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.